0: So did you know that it's possible to actually redirect the flow of a river? When the city of Chicago was first founded, uh, or really first incorporated, back in 1837, the Chicago River actually flowed into Lake Michigan. And as the city grew and things got a little more crowded and hectic, uh, pollution and sewage in the river picked up as well, flowing into the city's only clean water source. So in the year 1900, engineers put together and executed a plan to completely reverse the flow of the river in order to protect the people of Chicago. They did this in two main steps. Number one, digging a new channel so that the river water would have somewhere else to flow, connecting it to the Mississippi River, and then building canal locks to control the inflow from the lakeside. Now, this might seem like a pretty random way to start a message about the pursuit of happiness in Philippians, uh, but our inner lives are a lot like rivers, and the passage we're going to look at today has a lot to say about what goes on inside of us. That passage is Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and if you've got Bibles or Bible apps handy, I encourage you to open them up to that spot and read along with us. While you're getting there, I've got three points of context that might be helpful. Number one, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was a prisoner of the Roman government. Number two, its primary concern is with knowing and imitating Jesus. And number three, its main theme is joy, a word which appears 16 times in different forms over its four chapters. So with that context in mind, here's what Paul says in the first part of our passage for today. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, right off the bat, Paul lays out three exhortations and one outcome. Exhortations, if you're not familiar with the word, because we don't really use it that often, are really like commands, uh, but have more of an effect like emphatically urging someone to do something. So, they sound like commands, but it's really just, hey, I, I would urge you or encourage you to do this you Are trying to get someone to do something that will benefit them if they do it? So Paul's got three of those for us here. First, he urges us to rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, this point is so important that he says it again, rejoice. Paul goes right back to his main theme of this letter, joy. Here are two of those 16 occurrences. And not just any joy, but joy found in the Lord. And not just joy for what Jesus has done for us, But joy in who he is, in his very personhood, his very essence. So, Paul's not talking about the kind of superficial happiness that only shows up when things are going well. He's talking about something much deeper. It's not just the surface level happiness that most of us are after, if we're honest. It's something that depends not on our changing circumstances. But on the one who doesn't change, our Lord Jesus. So, this point about joy is so central that his next two exhortations or encouragements are really just ways to practically live it out. So, what does it look like to live from a place of joy in the Lord? Well, verse 5 tells us that it means interacting with people in a way that is gentle rather than harsh. So basically the opposite of what you see anytime you read the comment section on a controversial social media post. The word for gentle here is actually a tough one to translate, and it has a lot of meaning packed into it. it. It means not insisting on your personal rights, or even caring about whether or not you're being treated fairly, but instead being yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, and tolerant in your dealings with others. And why? Because the Lord is near. Living from a place of joy also directly intersects our tendency towards anxiety. So Paul urges us not to be anxious about anything, but rather to ask God for what we need through grateful prayer in every situation. Living from a place of joy means that when you feel the tug of worry or anxiety, you can let it pull you closer to God in prayer knowing with a grateful heart that he will provide for your needs. And the outcome of all this? Well, verse 7 tells us that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's where things get kind of interesting. Remember how I said our lives, our inner lives are a lot like rivers? Well, much like a river, there's a certain direction our inner worlds tend to flow in based on how our experiences and environments have shaped us. So in the fields of counseling and psychology, there is actually a specific form of therapeutic intervention often used to help those struggling with anxiety or depression. It's known as cognitive behavioral therapy. It's an approach based on the connection between our thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And the connection is often described using a diagram known as the cognitive triad, which looks a little something like this. Beautiful artwork, I know. So it starts with a prompt, a neutral prompt, a circumstance or occurrence outside of us that affects us somehow. So something has happened, and we have a response to it. The thing that happened isn't good or bad, it's neutral. It's how we respond to it, that makes the difference in this scenario. So in response to the outside prompt, we have feelings or emotions, we have thoughts, and we have actions. The order of which usually depends on how we're wired. So it can go any way, it can start at any place. Some of us are more feelings oriented and will feel things before we think about them. Um, Some of us just go right to action, don't think about the feelings or the thoughts. But they all are connected to each other, they all affect each other, and they can move in any direction. So there's a certain flow here between our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. All three of them influence each other, so a change in one will affect all the others as well. Let me give you an example to help this make some more sense. Prompt, the outside event. You lose your job because of a pandemic. Feeling, anxiety. Thought, I'm not gonna be able to provide for my family. Action, you end up taking your stress out on your family. Here's another one that's a little more personal for me. Prompt, My wife wasn't able to work as many hours because she needed to focus on her health. I felt anxiety. I thought, we're going to have to dip into savings, we won't be able to afford to buy our house, we're going to go broke because our rent is so high. My action was a frantic scramble to pinch every penny I could, find every deal I could, and find ways to make extra money on the side all causing me to miss out on more important things in life. So much like the Chicago River, before it had its flow reversed, my inner life was being polluted by anxiety because it didn't have a healthy outlet. It was getting into the drinking water, so to speak, and messing with my life and relationships. So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he's not saying that we should never feel anxious So whatever the feelings are, they're always valid and real, and we have to work with what we have. What he's really saying is that we shouldn't stay in a state of anxiety. So when my wife and I were talking through all this, she said it so well that I asked if I could quote her, and here were her words. The feeling of anxiousness is not wrong, but my mistrust of God is a form of sin. The feeling of anxiousness is not wrong but my mistrust of God is a form of sin. So how can we redirect the flow to a different outcome? Well, first, we can dig a new channel of prayer. Then no matter what situation we're in, we can ask God for whatever it is that we need, and we can even do it with thanksgiving, gratefully remembering all the ways that he's provided for us in the past. Prayer is our outlet canal connecting us to God, and we can let anxiety flow out of us knowing that he will provide for our needs. Going back to verse 7 then, it says the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God serves as the canal lock that guards us. So we've got the outlet channel, the canal lock, and now just like the Chicago River, we've got the two things we need to reverse the flow. And all of this comes from our rejoicing in the Lord. On a somewhat heavier note, anxiety is one of the most common mental health issues of our day. And since we're touching on the subject of mental health, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is National Suicide Prevention Week. Just about every one of us has either lost someone personally or knows someone who has lost a loved one to suicide. So if you find yourself stuck in patterns of anxiety, or depression, or anything else that has led you to consider taking your own life, I urge you to talk to someone you can trust and get the help you need. You can call the number on the bottom of your screen or text HOME to 741741. You can reach out to Wally, Greg, or myself. Whatever you need to do, just make sure you get the support you need. If you're close with someone that you suspect might struggle with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts, I would encourage you to reach out to them and check in. We can all use a reminder of how loved we are, and part of how we love our neighbors well is actually through caring about their mental health too. That being said, the second half of our passage today tells us more about how to redirect the flow of our inner lives, and this time it focuses specifically on our thoughts. So picking up in verse 8, somewhere between fifty and 75,000 thoughts per day, and that most of them are negative? Our thoughts have a profound effect on who we're becoming, and the things we set our minds on shape us in ways we're often not even aware of. So what do you spend most of your time thinking about? If I'm honest, I probably spend a little too much of my time thinking about money and politics. I still have a lot of growing in this area to do myself. But rather than having us constantly ruminating on things that make us anxious or depressed or angry, Paul urges us to let our minds dwell on whatever is genuine, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is holy, lovely, commendable, anything that is excellent in character or deserving of praise. Those are the things he encourages us to think about. So think back to the cognitive triad diagram here. All three parts are connected. They all influence each other. And this is yet another way to redirect the flow. You may have heard people talk about the power of positive thinking in kind of a flowery way that sounded like nonsense to you before. But here it is in Scripture. The difference is that we're talking here not just about uh, generic positive thoughts, but about thoughts intentionally oriented toward heaven and things that are good. So next, Paul tells the Philippians to put into practice whatever good things they have learned from or seen in him, touching again on one of his main themes in imitating Jesus. So while none of us are old enough to have seen Paul ourselves, there's still a lot that we can learn from him thanks to the Bible's record of so many of his letters to different churches and individuals. But there's another important point for us here too. If we want to follow Jesus we're going to need examples that we can learn from. And not just people further along in the journey who can show us a thing or two, but people not quite as far along the journey who can remind us of important things that we've forgotten along the way. That's a big part of why our church community is so important. We need each other, young and old alike. So adults, the youth of this church need you. So many of them feel like they don't have a single adult other than their parents in their lives, who truly cares, knows them, and loves them. When an adult comes alongside a young person and does those things, it makes it all the easier to believe that there could really be a God in heaven who feels the same way about them. To any young people listening, the adults of this church need you too. It's far too easy to get bogged down by life as you grow older but the passion and unique perspective that you bring can be life-giving. So having said all that, Paul closes with his most encouraging reminder yet. The God of peace will be with you. Connecting this back to the earlier section, we might even say that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because the God of peace himself will be with us. It's not just some abstract concept. This piece of God, it's God himself with us. So as we wrap up, I want to show you a picture my wife took when we visited Israel together last year. It's from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus himself spent a good deal of time in prayer. And I thought it was fitting for our topic today. So to recap, Paul is writing from prison having willfully given up his right to freedom for Christ's sake, and despite the fact that he is a Roman citizen, he never complains about his unjust treatment at the hands of an increasingly unfriendly government. Rather, he takes the opportunity to encourage his brothers and sisters in Philippi, to remind them of who they are and how to live, and to encourage them to rejoice in the Lord living lives marked by gentleness and prayer. So here are some of the takeaways for us. When you feel the pull of despair, rejoice in who Jesus is. When you feel tempted to harshness, let your gentleness be evident to all. When you feel the tension of anxiety, present your requests to God in prayer, gratefully trusting that he will meet All of your needs, just like he always has. The opposite of anxiety is peace, but joy is the antidote that gets us there. Joy in the Lord is the pathway to true peace. And our world is full of turmoil, but the peace of God defies explanation. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, for the God of peace himself will be with us. Joy in the Lord is the beginning of of our transformation and even greater joy in him is the outcome. Let's pray. Lord, may we lay down our pursuit of happiness in favor of rejoicing in you. Show us how to live from the joy we all so desperately long for. And may we find it in knowing you, Jesus. Amen.